1: Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Do you feel safe? Do you feel in control? These questions are occupying many of our minds these days because we're hearing a ton today in 2021 about safety Safety is really the word that we hear from every turn. We're encouraged to keep ourselves safe and to do all sorts of things that will, we hope, end up keeping us from coronavirus, from sickness, ultimately from death. It's fascinating to think about the concept of safety from a Christian perspective. Now, as a believer and as a theologian uh, teaching at Midwestern Seminary, I recognize that there is, of course, an acceptable and right understanding of safety that a Christian can have. I drive on the right side of the road. I try to be careful when I'm in a crosswalk. Uh, I don't generally drive up to the edge of a cliff and see how close I can get before falling off. Um, I don't walk in the middle of the road when I'm out on a walk with my kids. I'm trying to teach my kids to be thoughtful and careful in different ways in terms of how they live their lives. I myself, if I were to actually mark how often I'm thinking through safety concerns, I'm sure that I would figure out a ton of different ways in which I am trying to live safely. I don't want to invite harm on a regular, moment by moment basis into my life. I want to live wisely. I want to live thoughtfully. I want to live carefully. I want to live as long as the Lord would allow me to have on this earth. And so, As a believer, we need to make very clear at the outset, when we're thinking about the term safety, as everybody is today, that we have a very healthy portion to contribute to this kind of conversation. We recognize, in fundamental terms, that every human life is an opportunity for stewardship, that God has given us this life, not so that we will live as unwisely as possible, as the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would caution very much against but so that we will live as wisely as possible. We want to be wise. We pray that we would make good choices throughout our life. And part of being wise is taking steps such that you and I do not put ourselves in unnecessary danger. So let's confess these things from the outset, from a Christian vantage point. As we continue to hear a great deal about coronavirus in America and around the world, We know that different places in Europe right now, in England, for example, the UK are going through new lockdown waves. And we know, therefore, that tons of people are thinking about this concept of safety. And in a broader sense, we're having a massive public conversation about public health, what it means for us as a society to to think and live wisely with regard to our public health. This is all Uh, understandable in this day and age. And Christians need to participate in such conversations. And not only that, I think we should live wisely. However, we also need to think the concept of safety through. We need to do a good bit of parsing of this concept. Do we have the same understanding of safety as an unbeliever has? When a government issues uh, its requirements or expectations for public health— do we automatically take those and ingest them without any thinking, without any reflection? Is the call to love neighbor from Matthew 22, 34 to 39, the second greatest commandment as given by Jesus, is that a call that means that anything someone around us urges us to do in the interest of safety and public health is necessarily something we do? That's how it seems like a good number of evangelicals are thinking today, professing evangelicals, certainly. They, they are saying that if there is a measure we can take in order to love neighbor, quote unquote, then we should do it. I, you don't even have to think about it. If it's an opportunity to love neighbor, well, that's an opportunity then for the church to be a witness. We are going to be a witness as we act in a loving way. The, the, the argument seems to be that if we act in a loving way, our unbeliever. Will see that and will be, at least in some cases, uh, jarred out of that because they'll, they'll see that the church is not acting in an anti-society kind of way, but is actually trying to be the best uh, societal member that they can be, the individual Christian or the church or whatever it may be. And there's a lot to think through there. Of course, we are called to love neighbor by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, so that is absolutely non-negotiable. But what we need to think about is what I just post. Is any measure of safety that we can take automatically a matter of neighbor love? Or do we need to grapple with this concept of safety afresh? Do we need to see perhaps that yes, we're all going to pursue safety to a serious degree, including Christians, and yet there's actually a lot baked into that concept for a good number of folks today such that they are living their lives as if they can death-proof their existence. As believers, we need to be clear up front that however wisely we seek to live and however much we do drive on the right side of the road, we can never death-proof our lives. We know that we have a mortal foe, and unless Jesus returns first, we are going to lose to this foe. Now, we also know, of course, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, that death is defeated, that death has no utter and absolute final sting for the Christian. We do not fear death. We do not fear what is beyond death. We do not fear a Christless eternity. As a Christian who has trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins, Jesus drinking the cup of the Father's wrath in our place, we know that we are not going to die eternally. We are not going to be damned. We are not condemned. We will not drink a single drop of divine wrath, though we should for all eternity. No, all of that has been taken for us. All of that work has been done by Jesus Christ. There's truly nothing more to do. There is no more condemnation for us. As a believer, not by our own works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ and saving faith in it given us by God. We are utterly uncondemnable. No one can give us that ultimate status of condemned. No one can affix ultimate condemnation to us. It is an impossibility because of God's action in our world. We, of course, can do something evil. We can sin and have a temporal verdict of condemned in a court of law, for example. But no one can change our status in the courtroom of God from righteous in Jesus Christ by saving faith to unrighteous. No one can ever do that. There is nothing anyone can ever say about you that will ultimately condemn you in terms of your status in the courtroom of God. So all of this is true about us as believers. And all of this means that though we have the foe, of earthly death, though our body is going to go into the ground at some point, it is certain, unless Jesus Christ returns and takes us to be with himself. We are going to die, but even as we are going to die, uh, this reality that terrifies the natural man, people all around us, just as we were terrified before we came to Christ, I'm sure many of us in different forms, so we do not fear death. So death is coming for us, first truth, but we don't ultimately fear it. We don't fear it, second truth, because we are found in Jesus Christ, because we are justified, because we are washed, because we will be glorified by God. Friends, what I have already said in theological terms, biblical terms, resets the conversation about safety, and it shows us that fundamentally, we can't death-proof our life. As so many people around us seem to think today, you need to understand that we're in a fallen world that is populated to a very great measure by unredeemed sinners who think in unredeemed terms and structure their lives in a a godless way. They may say they follow the Lord, but ultimately no one follows the Lord who is not redeemed, who is not born again, who is not a true believer. And so the way that the unbeliever lives is always going to be an unbelieving way. And one of the ways that most manifests, with the fear of death hanging over us, is we are going to try in our natural state to act as if we can beat death at its game. But no one can. No one can outrun the clock. No one can dodge the Reaper. Death is always going to get its target. And death has a bead on every human person. And no one can escape it. There is no court to appeal to that will take away our death sentence. There is no pill you can take that will undeathify you. There is no positive affirmation you can receive that will solve this problem that looms and lurks. There's nothing you can do in natural human terms about death, but people all around us think they can. And what we're witnessing today in 2021 in America and across the world Our societies and cultures that are gripped by the fear of death and seized by the idea that if we just do enough measures, we can overcome this condition. You've already heard me say that we should live wisely. We should definitely have a testimony to the world by the way we approach death. And in our wisdom, in our godly living, that is, powered by the Holy Spirit, we are going to overlap in a lot of ways with unbelievers, in that they drive on the right side of the road, as this example shows recurringly now in this podcast, and so do we. And there's a whole host of other things we do that are intended to give us a measure of safety in this life. But there is also a form of living that is not really living at all because it is gripped and seized by the fear of death. And that has come to roost in our time. That is pervasive in our context. You as a eyes wide open Christian are seeing this around you and so am I. And so there are a number of things we need to think through today. We need to recognize that we are not in control, that we do not have the ability to keep ourselves safe that we can't keep our children ultimately safe. We can't keep our father and mother safe, our loved ones safe, our extended families safe. We can't make our church body perfectly safe. We can't make our community, neighborhood, city, state perfectly safe. We cannot rid the world of threats, of challenges, of trials, of real dangers. We're not forced into an either-or choice at this point, in which we either live absolutely recklessly or we live an absolutely perfectly buttoned-down, safety-driven life. We're not forced into one or the other extreme, as we might think. In truth, the wise Christian life is very much a balance of, of concerns here. You know, I was thinking about these things with my wife recently, talking them through. She's a wise and godly woman, and we were both Uh, reflecting on Genesis 39 and the story of Joseph. Joseph, as many of us will recall, found himself in very difficult circumstances. His brothers sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. And then he's ultimately, by the time of Genesis 39, brought into Potiphar's house. So he's now in Egypt. He is far from his home. He's far from his loving father. He's in a very difficult position. And in Genesis 39 too, we pick up a sense of where Joseph can find his comfort. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Potiphar Receives Joseph, this slave, into his home. And Potiphar sees that Joseph is a gifted and able man and thus elevates him to a high level post in Potiphar's home. And this is all ultimately, Genesis tells us, Moses tells us, because the Lord is with Joseph. Again, Genesis 39, verse 2. And that is why Joseph becomes, quote, a successful man. Unquote. That is why Joseph has any measure of success at all. It is not his own doing, it's not his own efforts, it's only God's kindness, it's only God's favor that accounts for this blessing. You move ahead in the chapter to the end of the chapter in Genesis thirty nine, twenty three, when Joseph is in prison now. He's unjustly accused, essentially, of rape by Potiphar's wife. He's completely innocent in the account. But uh, through a variety of circumstances, it is said to be the case that Joseph is evil, that he's acted unrighteously and this, and Potiphar believes his wife in her unjust accusation over Joseph. And so Joseph ends up in prison. But even in prison, Joseph is still blessed by God. Verse 22, we'll start there, Genesis 39. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Here's this truth popping up again in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, so Joseph is okay. More than that, Joseph is once again succeeding in everything he does because of God's favor and God's kindness. Now, this is a very rough place to be. We tend to read the narrative of Joseph as if everything is preordained and as if Joseph is just having a grand old time because he enjoys the favor of God. And so it's not even really that bad, but we need to know that this is prison. This is a desperate circumstance. This is not modern prison. There's no creature comforts. Joseph is in prison for a very long time. He's there far longer than he would, of course, want to be and deserves to be. He doesn't deserve to be there for an hour. So this is a massive detour in his life. This is a major trial in his existence. And yet, it's not simply that God uses it, works it out in his divine alchemy for good. It's actually that God sent Joseph to prison in order that Joseph's life would take the course that the Lord wanted it to take. God is with Joseph there. God never abandons Joseph and he does not keep an eye on Joseph from a very, very far disinterested distance. You see, God chooses in his magnificent divine freedom to involve himself in his creation. He is not his creation, and he is not in his creation, but he is definitely involved in his creation, specifically with his covenant people. He loves his people, and he loves those who in different forms, lead his people, and that is true of Joseph. So, we learn a great deal here. We could talk about Joseph for a good long while here, but what we need to highlight for our purposes in light of this 21st century obsession with safety, we need to know that Joseph, in earthly terms, was not safe. He was not in a safe place, so to speak, but he was in a God-appointed place. Let me repeat that he was not in a safe earthly place but he was in a god appointed place to the extent that the the narrative can tell us that god was with him god was there with him it's not just that joseph had this vague distant awareness that somewhere out there god had his eye on him no the lord was with him what and whatever he did the lord made it succeed so there's there's this eye test proof in joseph's case that God is with him because everything is is going according to God's plan. Everything is God-blessed in Joseph's days. What does this teach us? Why reference this in the broader conversation on safety when we're talking about masks and another lockdown of businesses or society, whether churches can open or not be open, whether it's safe uh, to, to be around people, whether we can, in fact, carry out the divine command to assemble for congregational worship on a weekly basis? Is it even safe to do that? Is that a violation of public health? That's a, that's a much broader range of, of good questions. I've tackled them before to, to different degrees on this humble little podcast. I'm sure I will again. But I don't want to go directly at those matters on this particular episode. What I want to do is reframe things for us just a little bit in just a basic biblical sense, and say that it's not possible for us to make our lives safe. And we're never going to get to a place where we are perfectly safe in this world. It does not exist. You can live wisely as you should. You can seek to submit to the government and obey it as much as you possibly can, as you should. You can, you can do things that normal human beings Beings would do in order to safeguard their lives on a daily basis. And you should, but you're still not safe. None of us is, friends. That's an illusion. That's a trap. That's a lure that Satan dangles in front of us and uses to lead us away from God. You'd think, no, 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 Strand, you don't understand. In past days, There were these major challenges to the gospel, these ideological foes and threats to true Christianity, but a lot of those have gone away in our time, or at least we know what they are. When we're talking about the lockdown and the pandemic and these kind of issues, we're not talking about ideological matters. We're just talking about safety. We're just talking about health. We're just talking about how we can love our neighbor. Again, there's overlap between these categories uh, for the Christian and for the world. Uh, we are seeking to be safe to some degree. All of us are. But we are not blind to the reality that Satan will use anything to draw us away from God. Satan will use anything he can to blind the eyes of unbelievers such that they do not come to the recognition that they are a hell-bound sinner, and they do not end up trusting Jesus Christ as the exclusive Savior and way back to God. Satan will do anything he can to rig society so that the awareness and recognition of those two basic truths of the human condition is never reached by as many people as he possibly can blind. That is his goal. And Satan will do everything he can to lure the church away from the truth and to get us to make hash of our testimony, or not tell the whole truth, or not be the bold church that we are called to be, on and on it goes. So just because a matter is couched under the rubric and banner of health or safety does not mean that is a neutral issue for the church. That means we need to think about it very carefully, and we need to say, and we need to know every day we live, even as we are seeking wisdom and trying to practice it to a very serious degree, that earthly safety is a lie, that you cannot death-proof your life, and that much of what people around us are chasing is a mirage. And friends, there is freedom when you can admit these things. There is liberation when you will square with the fact that you are going to die. And that's not a morbid realization. It's actually morbid not to come to terms with that. because. You're sidestepping the truth, and that's the way to actually fall prey to morbidity, and really, at the end of the day, illogic and insanity. But we need to know this as well. If safety is an illusion, and that then means that the world can feel scary, the truth is that we have no idea what God is doing at any given moment. We don't know what God is bringing to pass in the midst of chaos and, and danger, and to an extent, real danger all around us. People are dying from coronavirus. People are dying, of course, from a whole host of problems and conditions today, just as they have been ever since the real historical fall of a real historical atom. So let's, let's not make any mistake about this. There is chaos all around us. There is suffering all around us. There is pain all around us. It can look to us like, in our context, we've lost the thread, and we have lost the ability to carve out some meaningful redemption of this given cultural and societal moment for God. But it's not true. And this is where we thread back in Joseph. Joseph, I'm sure, thought some version of that when he was trapped in a prison in Egypt far from his family far from the lofty destiny he dreamed about when he was a young man i am certain that he faced challenges to believe that god loved him and god was caring for him and god was with him and not just that god would was with him in the prison but god would be with him and would lead him to something good in the future do you not feel discouraged today do you not feel like things have gotten to such a low point where you are that, that there may well be no possibility of redeeming your given situation going forward. I think a lot of Christians feel that today. I think a lot of us are battling discouragement, even to the point of despair, in a profound form. More for at least a good number of us than we ever have before. I said this last week on the podcast, but right now, the darkness can feel unrelenting. And I don't think all of that feeling is a mirage. I think actually things have changed in our time. I think there are sinister movements afoot in the body politic, in America, in other countries. I think much is shaking out right now. And I'm certain from Scripture that the days are evil. But here's the deal. It was when Joseph was in prison that he was being prepared for the uppermost echelons of the Egyptian government, third in charge in Egypt. God was readying him for that. God would soon not only get Joseph out of prison, but launch him from prison, eject him from prison, propel him from prison. When Pharaoh had his weird dreams and none of the so-called wise men and magicians and soothsayers could interpret them, Joseph would be called up in a physical sense. And he would be the only one in the kingdom who could tell Pharaoh a true interpretation of those dreams. And on the spot, Pharaoh would grant him unprecedented favor, access, and power. And then Joseph would be used to save his family. And not just to save his family, but in doing so, to establish the 12 tribes of Israel. Could Joseph ever have mapped out the plan for his life that God executed if he even tried? He couldn't have. He couldn't have done it. And friend, you can't map out what God is going to do with your life, even if you tried even if you sat down for the next month and didn't go to work and didn't pay any attention to your kids, uh, didn't, didn't do anything except sit there with a whiteboard or your iPad or whatever it may be, maybe a candle lit, maybe some coffee brewing, maybe some soft uh, Spotify uh, music in the background, looking out potentially at a tree, something happy like that. If you gave your uttermost efforts to figure out how your life is going to be used for God's glory going ahead, you couldn't come to within one millionth of what God is actually going to do. You don't know. I don't know. I repeat myself. We have, in technical terms, no idea what God is doing at any given moment. But we know this. God is up to something. We know this. God Is going to execute a grand work for his glory. We know that he is building his kingdom. We know that he is growing his church. We know that he's going to use faithful, sold out Christians who love sound doctrine and do not care what the world thinks about them, but take up their cross daily and follow King Jesus wherever he calls them to go. We know God will bless that. So take that to the bank with you. And all of this. Means, thirdly, that we know this as well. This is really baked into what I just said. We know that God is wiser than us. <laughs> and it's not that He's edging us out at a photo finish at the line. It's that we are not wise fundamentally, and God is perfectly wise. God is wiser than you. God has perfect wisdom in how to plan your life. God knows exactly where you should go. God knows exactly what trials should be appointed for you. God knows exactly what joys should be appointed for you. And he's going to bring that to pass. It's not just that he can create a great, really sharp-looking 100-page prospectus for you with color and print it out and lay it on your desk and suggest some ways you could go. It's that he knows what is best and he's going to do it. He's going to execute that plan. And and you should take real heart From that reality, an all-wise God is up to something. But fourth, remember this as well: God's plan isn't for the faint of heart. So buckle up; it's not for the faint of heart. You get this sense from Joseph, as I've been talking about. If you if you go through the Old Testament, range across it, and think about different followers of God and what it means for them to follow God, you will know that that is no dry and dull reality. If you go to the New Testament, you know that Jesus is crucified for, for sin. If you think about the apostles, you know that 11 of the 12 of them are martyred. So God's plan is not a dull plan, and it's, it's not a costless plan. It is the exact opposite. It is a costly plan. As Steve Lawson has said, it will cost you everything. It will take everything you have now and then in earthly terms so buckle up be ready don't have a naive understanding of the kingdom of god and the way god leads his chosen people it is at one and the same time true that god never abandons you it is true that we have perfect peace first peter 5 in god it is true that god has promised promised to bring us home It is true that we are never alone. It is true that we are always indwelt by the Spirit as Christians. All these things are true. But it is also true that those whom God loves, He often calls to walk through trials. And nothing shows us that more clearly in biblical terms than the cross of Jesus Christ. So buckle up. Fifth, this reminds us that there's nothing tame and domesticated about God, we all like to put God in our own box, and we 're all tempted to a kind of uh, to a kind of man made version of God. Uh, some are tempted to believe in a God who is totally imminent, just like them, basically their best friend or their grandfather, or something like this. Some are tempted to a super far off God who is basically completely untouched by anything in the world God has chosen to make, but the The biblical God is different from both of those extremes. The biblical God is not like us in fundamental terms, but the biblical God also chooses to love us. So we need to remember that God does not proceed according to our natural intuitions and desires. God does as God sees fit. Praise God, we have the Bible that enables us to know God and to know his will to know his mind as he desires us to know it, as he has disclosed it. And so we can trust this God. Is he a safe God? To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, no, not in the least, but he is good. And sixthly and finally for this little podcast, that helps us remember that if God is with us, we have everything. If God is beside us, like he was Joseph, so to speak, then there is nothing we lack, Psalm eighty four eleven, God has withheld no good thing from us. There's nothing he could give us that he hasn't given us. And, and we are right to, to understand that the first way to understand this passage that I'm citing here is to understand that we have God. God is the gift above all gifts. If you have God, you have everything. Does God choose to give us all sorts of benefits and, and blessings in in salvific grace terms and in common grace terms? Yes, he does. But the chief gift that you can be given by God is God. And that's how we understand that Joseph can be in a prison once more or can be a slave in Potiphar's house and yet have everything because the Lord is with him. Friends. The Lord is with you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know Emmanuel, God with us. We just celebrated this in the Christmas season just a little bit ago. Jesus is with us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have no reason to fear the world. We are not safe in earthly terms. But no one is safe in earthly terms. We are actually saved, something so much greater than safe in in a temporal sense. We are going to live eternally with God in the new heavens and new earth. That has already been given to us as an inheritance, Ephesians 1, now. So take heart. Take heart in all this. Are Are we ever going to be able to achieve this equilibrium of perfect safety? Absolutely not. Is that going to cause us to evaluate our culture and society, the claims that we're hearing all the time about public health and about death-proofing our lives? Yes. Do we have infinite hope and confidence in and only in Jesus Christ? Yes, Jesus Christ is not safe, but he is Good. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.